chapter, Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. And we continue our study of the book of Genesis, and we come to this chapter which introduces the story of Joseph. And we'll be reading that, if you'll follow in your Bibles, in Genesis chapter 37. I've entitled the message, Joseph the Dreamer. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream and he told it to his brethren and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shall thou indeed reign over us, or shall thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and he told his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told, told it to his father, and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee. See whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. So, so he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, whether they feed their flock. And the man said, They are departed hence, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren, and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come thou now therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we will see what shall become of his dreams. And Re Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was coming to his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and, they, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, 
And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned into the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or not. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent to pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto, unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's captain and captain of the guard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of this account that's familiar to many of us, Lord. It's something we've learned even from Sunday school days and the, uh, Joseph and his coat of many colors. But Lord, I ask that you would help us not only just to see the story, but to see lessons behind the story. And I pray you would teach us today from your word. If there's someone here that does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day of faith for them. They would, they would come and, and trust him and what he did for them on the cross of Calvary. And I just ask, Lord, that you would minister to all of us. There are lessons that we as Christians need to learn, learn as well. So teach us today, we pray, and give enablement to bring the message we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The story of Joseph occupies the remainder of the book of Genesis from chapter 37 all the way through chapter 50, except for chapter 38, which talks of Judah and Tamar. His story is a fascinating story of mountaintops and valleys, of mystery and intrigue. It tells of the faithfulness of God and teaches us to trust him even when we can't track him. We will get up to some of those lessons at the end of the message, but before we do that, I want us to just to look at the story itself and be clear as to what the story says. First of all, we begin with the life of Joseph, the 17-year-old teenager, the dreamer. First of all, it says that at 17 years old, he was with, his, with the sons of Bilhah and uh, Zilpah in verses 1 to 2. Now, Bilhah was the, was the handmaid of Rachel, and she had two children, and those were Dan and Naphtali. Zilpah was the handmaid of Leah, and she had two children by Jacob, and they were Gad and Asher. So those two handmaids each had two children. Now, Leah had six, and Rachel had two, so that made 12. Those are the 12 tribes of Israel. So he is with these four sons, the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, out in the field, tending the sheep. And Joseph observed what they were doing and how they were acting. And he came back home and gave a report to his dad that uh, these brothers of mine, uh, they're evil. <laughs> I mean, they're doing bad things. Now, we're not told what they, that, what they were doing, 
But I imagine they were doing something that Joseph would not do because he wanted to seemingly do the right thing. And so Joseph reported to his dad. Now, some have criticized Joseph for, di- for being a tattletale and for telling on his brothers. I don't believe we should do that because we don't know the circumstances. It might be that his dad said, now, Joseph, I'm suspecting some things, and I want you to tell me the truth of what goes on. I don't know. It just says that he reported, uh, gave a bad report of his brothers. But then later it says that Jacob made Joseph a special coat. Our Bible says a coat of many colors. It's been translated in other ways. Some have translated it to, to say a coat of, of, that was a long sleeve coat, uh, which spoke of prominence in the family. Another it, it translated as saying it was an ornamental, uh, ornamental coat. In other words, it had ornaments on it. It was a decorative type of coat. We're not for sure exactly what that term means in the Hebrew, but it means a special coat. It was a coat the other brothers didn't have, and it was a coat that signified honor and position in the family. And Jacob was the one who gave that to Joseph, and the Bible tells us why he did that was because he loved him more than any of the other brothers. Now, favoritism, as we've looked at in the the Scripture before, is not good. If you have a family of more than one child, you're not to have a favorite. And if you do have, don't tell them about it because it always brings problem. In fact, you really shouldn't have. Uh, there might be some things you like about some one person and, and maybe don't like about the other, but you should love them both or all of them just as well. We can't say both. We have six. <laughs> so you have to love all the kids the same. And same way with the grandkids. You're going to get yourself in trouble if the grandkids find out that you have a favorite. Now, some of my grandkids will come up to us to Evelyn and I, and they'll say, uh, we're your favorite grandchild. <laughs> and we'll smile, you know, and that's, that's not necessarily true because we don't have a favorite. All of them were, are loved. And uh, so we have uh, grandchildren, and uh, we thank the Lord for those grandchildren. But you shouldn't show favoritism, but Jacob did. Now, Jacob should have known better because he was the, he was the recipient of that favoritism, and he saw what had happened in, in the family. And so uh, Jacob uh, should have known better, but he still favored Joseph. And he made him this coat of many colors. Now, I believe Jacob's action to do that was probably uh, God allowed him to do that because it showed something. It showed that Joseph was to be the favored one. And he was. And he was favored. And God had a special thing for him to do, a special plan for him. But he had this coat of many colors. But then he added to that, it says that he had dreams. And he dreamed two different dreams. The first dream was the dream of the sheaves, verses 5 through 8. Now, you remember that Joseph and his brothers were shepherds. They were not farmers. But the sheaves probably represent what's going to happen later in Joseph's life because, do you remember, uh, his brothers are going to go down to Egypt to get grain, which comes from the sheaves. And uh, Joseph is going to be the one to dispense that grain to them. So he has this dream. He doesn't know for sure all that it means. He just knows what it says on the surface, and that is uh, they were gathering their sheaves, and all of a sudden Joseph's sheave stood upright. You know, if you gather like a sheave of wheat, you lay them down. But this stood upright, and then the, the 11 brothers gathered around this sheave, and their sheave bowed toward Joseph. But Joseph's sheep. And now he told them that, and they didn't like that at all and made them mad. And it said he, they hated them even the more. They hated them because of the coat, 
and they hated him even more, and it tells us that twice in verses 5 and 8, because of the dream. But then he had another dream. And this dream it said that the sun and the moon and 11 stars did obeisance to Joseph. Now, he told that first to his brethren. And then because he knew what it signified, he knew he had 11 brothers, and he knew mom and dad was probably the, or dad and mom was probably the sun and the moon. And so he told his dad. He told his dad about this dream. Now, whether he should have told that, I don't know. I read commentators that, that really uh, criticized Joseph for telling that. I don't know. I think Joseph knew that dream came from God. And, uh, but anyway, he shared it uh, with his brothers. And the Bible says in verse 11 that they envied him. They envied him because of this. They knew what Joseph was saying. And maybe they had an inclination that God was behind this and it might be true, but they didn't like it and they would fight against it and they would do anything they could to keep it from happening. And so they were against Joseph. But then the Bible says that in verse 11 that his father observed the saying. Now, first of all, it made Jacob upset. He said, what do you mean that, that we're going to, your mom and your, your dad and your mom uh, and your, son, your brothers are going to bow down to you? What do you mean by that? But then his brothers envied him, but his father observed the saying. Now, why do you think he observed it? Why do you think he gave it second thought? Why do you think he thought over it? Because he himself had been recipients of dreams from God, and he knew they meant something. And so he thought much about it. Then Joseph was sent to check on his brothers. Now, this is different from the first time when when these four sons were tending the flock and Joseph was with them. This time, it seems like all the sons, probably except maybe Benjamin, of course, he was too young, all the sons were out tending the flock, but Joseph wasn't. Now, Joseph wore this long coat, this long sleeve coat, this ornamental coat, this coat of many colors or whatever it might be, as, a, as signifying who his father thought he was, and that is the top of the family. He was the special one. And so maybe he didn't have to work like the other guys did, and he sent him out with this coat on. Now, you don't go to tend sheep, or you don't go on a long journey dressed in a robe like that, but he did. And so he goes out to check on his brothers. And his dad asked him to do th- two things. He says, check on your brethren and check on the flock. Make sure everything's all right. Now, he wanted him to go because it's probably been a while since he'd heard from him because Shechem was several miles away, maybe 50 miles or so away. And Shechem was the place, you remember, where Simeon and Levi, had slot- with the help of his brothers, had slaughtered all the Shechemites. And so they weren't popular back in that area. But for some reason, these brothers decided to go back to that area to tend their flock. Now, there was a huge flock. And they would go wherever the pasture was, and they drifted off, and they went all the way to Shechem. Some way the dad knew where they were and says, you go to Shechem and check on your brothers and check on the flock. And uh, so he did. And uh, he got to Shechem, and they weren't there. And he was wandering around in the field, wondering where they were. And a man saw him and said, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. I don't know where they were. They're supposed to, or where they are. They're supposed to be here. And he said, well, I overheard them talking and they said they were going to go to Dothan. They were here, but they've gone to Dothan. And so he travels to Dothan, probably another 20 miles away. 
and he travels there to see them. And Joseph's brothers saw him. They saw him coming, and immediately they conspired to do something, and that is they were going to kill him. You remember they hated him before. They envied him, and now they're going to kill him. And so they conspire to kill him. The original conspiracy is seen in verses 18 to 20. It says we're going to kill him. We're going to cast him into a pit. We will say that a beast devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. That was their original plan. Well, Reuben heard this, and Reuben interceded. And he said, no, uh, brothers, let's not kill him. Now, let's remember who Reuben was. Reuben was the firstborn son of Jacob by Leah, and he was the firstborn. So he had the rights to the firstborn. But you remember he forfeited those rights when he lay with his dad's wife, which was Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, and, and uh, so he committed incest with her, and that means he lost all those rights. And when, Joseph, when Jacob tells at the end of the, of the, of the, of the book, when he's talking to his sons, he rebukes him for that. But he probably lost all his rights of a firstborn, and Jacob had centered his attention upon Joseph. Now, Rachel, Reuben knows that he has lost that position, and Joseph now has it. And yet he's concerned about his brother. He's already hurt his dad enough by what he did. He doesn't want his dad to be hurt even more by his brother being killed. And so he speaks up for Joseph, and seemingly they listen to him, and they, instead of killing him right then, they cast him into the pit. Now, the Bible says before they cast him into the pit, they stripped the clothes off of stripped his, his uh, ornamental coat off, his coat of many colors or whatever it was. They had this special coat. They stripped it off of him, and they threw him down in a dry, dry pit, and then they sat down to eat. After doing that to their brothers, no conscience, they just sat down to eat a meal. And while they were eating, they looked up, and lo and behold, there were some Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and they were on their way to Egypt. Now, they were coming. They had camels with them. Those camels were loaded down with spices and things like that that they were going to sell in Egypt. And uh, they looked up, and they saw that. And Judah, remember, Judah was the fourth son. Leah had uh, Reuben, then Simeon, and Levi, and then, then Judah. And Judah said, well, let's not kill him. Let's, we don't get any profit out of that. Why don't we sell him to these Ishmaelites? And so the plan was to sell him to the Ishmaelites and not, not to kill him. Now, we need to understand who the Ishmaelites were. The Ishmaelites were descendants of Abraham's son Ishmael, which he had by Hagar. You remember Sarah's handmaid. And then uh, Midian, the Midianites were descendants from the son Midian, who he had by Keturah, which was later, probably after Sarah died. And so these people were related in some sense distantly, but here they're coming from, uh, from Gilead down to Egypt, and so they take Joseph and they sell him to these people for 20 pieces of silver, a little less than the price of an adult slave, but a, a good, pretty, pretty good price anyway, 20 pieces of silver, and they sold him off into slavery to these men. Reuben evidently had walked away or gone to tend the sheep or something while these Ishmaelites were dealing with them, and he came back and found that uh, Joseph wasn't in the pit. 
And he was all upset and distressed. And, and he went to his brothers. And, of course, they calmed him down and said, no, we didn't kill him. We sold him to the Ishmaelites. And so they took a kid of the goats, and they killed that goat, and they shed its blood, and they dripped, they, they uh, soaked Joseph's coat in that blood, and then they had somebody take that back to their dad, probably just a little ahead of them, and uh, uh, reveal to their dad. And they deceived their dad by the blood-soaked coat of Joseph. And so then Joseph was sold, the Bible tells us at the end of the passage, that he was sold to Potiphar down in Egypt. Now the Ishmaelites no doubt made some money. They probably bought him for 20, maybe sold him for 50, or maybe 30, I'm not sure. But they made some money on the deal, and Joseph is now a slave in Egypt, and he's in Potiphar's house. Now from that story, I want us to learn some lessons this morning. I want to draw some lessons from what we read in this passage. The first lesson is this. Unconfessed sin will lead to worse sins, and that will lead to a harvest. Unconfessed sin will lead to worse sins, and that will lead to the harvest. Have you ever heard anybody say, or have you ever said, something like this? Well, sin is sin. There's no difference. Sin is sin. Well, that's not exactly right. Yes, sin is sin, and a small sin is serious. You remember what the, the sin that, that caused Adam and Eve to fall, bring the whole human race to a fall and cause them to be cast out of the garden? What was that sin? They, they disobeyed. They ate a fruit they weren't supposed to eat. Now today we think, what's, what's so big about that? You know, what's so big about that sin? It's sin. And that, that time it was the worst sin because it was the only sin that had ever been committed. And God said, don't do this. And with everything else they had, that they, they centered on that one thing they couldn't do, and they did it anyway. They rebelled against God. And that was sin. It was serious. But there are sins that are worse than other sins. Now, why do I say that? Well, let me give you some scripture. And there are a lot of scriptures that support this, but let me give you just a few. Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel had one of these visions, and the Lord brought him to Jerusalem in the vision and to the house of the Lord, and he said this, Seest thou the great abominations that the house of Israel committeth here? See these great abominations that they commit here. And then he said this, Turn thee yet again, and I will show thee greater abominations. So there are abominations, and there are greater abominations. There's sin, and then there's worse sin. All of it's bad, but some are worse than others. In John chapter 19, Jesus said to Pilate, He that delivered me unto unto thee hath the greater sin. So there are degrees of sin. In Matthew chapter 11, I will not turn there for time, but you remember Jesus was talking about cities where he had been, and he performed miracles. And he said, If the miracles had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and then later he says in Sodom and Gomorrah, that had been done in you, they would would have repented a long time ago in in sackcloth and ashes. He said it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah than it will be for you. That's why I've said many times, one of the worst places to go to hell from would be a church like this. Because we believe the Bible, and I tell you the gospel over and over and over again, and you know the way to heaven, and for you to sit here 
day after Sunday after Sunday, hear the message, and you still don't trust Jesus. I mean, that would be terrible. Uh, the Lord says it's more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah for than Capernaum, who have all these miracles done them, and they still didn't trust the Lord. And so there are degrees of punishment. There's degrees of sin, and some sins are worse than the other. But also, sin tends to get worse. You see, I've seen it in people, and probably you've seen it in people. They get to the place in their life when they look back and say, I never would have dreamed I would have been in this place. Well, where, how did they get there? Because it started with a smaller sin, and that got bigger and bigger and bigger, and sin never, is never satisfied. It always gets worse. That's why there's so many abominable things done today that are sexual sins. You just wouldn't even think about but it's, it's progression. It goes down and down and down and down. You think of, of David, an example of that. The Bible says he saw Bathsheba. He lusted after Bathsheba. That was wrong. It was wrong for him to lust. Then he took Bathsheba, and then he lay with Bathsheba, and then he killed Uriah. It kept getting worse and worse and worse. You remember Achan? Achan in the book of Joshua. It says they had conquered Jericho and they were going on to Ai and, and God allowed them to be, to be defeated at first at Ai because there was sin in the camp. And what was the sin? Achan had taken of the accursed thing. And the Bible says that he, when he finally admits it, he says, I saw, I coveted, covetedness is wrong, I took and then I hid. And so it got worse and worse and the result got worse because, you remember, he and his family were stoned to death because of it. You see, sin gets worse, but also sin produces a harvest. The Bible says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Galatians 6, 7 says, what, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You will reap what you sow. You might think you'll get away with sin, but you won't because sin will have a har- harvest. The Lord says, don't be deceived. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And these men saw that in their lives. Reuben saw it. Maybe that's why he wanted to help Joseph, because he knew he had sinned against his dad, and he lay with Bilhah, and he knew that was wrong, and he probably wished many times he had never done that, and sin was reaping for him and his conscience bothered him, and all of that, he had lost his position as firstborn, and uh, sin brought a harvest. Jacob is reaping a harvest. You remember before that, years before that, Jacob deceived his own dad. How? By a kid of the goats. (laughs) He killed the kid of the goats. His mom made it taste like venison, and then she took the skin of the, of the goat and put it on his hands and on his neck to deceive his, his father, Isaac. And now his, his sons are deceiving him by a goat, by the blood of a goat put on the, the coat of his, of, his son, of his son, Joseph. Yes, sin will cause you to reap. There will be a harvest. Joseph's brothers reap because of their sin they committed during this. You know, their, their conscience bothered them for 20 years. After this, they lived with that. And we find that true because we look at chapter 42 in the book of Genesis when they're down into Egypt and they have faced, they have come up to, to Joseph. They don't know who Joseph is. 
but Joseph's quizzing them, and he's making it hard for them. And they said in verse 21 of chapter 42, it says, And they said one to another, We are very guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us? And Reuben answered them, saying, Spake not I unto you, do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. So they remember Joseph crying down in the pit. They remembered all this. They are reaping it. They're going to reap the results for 20 years. And their conscience bothering them. And it comes to that time they're down in Egypt and it all comes flooding back. And they, they remember that and it hurts them. And sin it has a, a harvest and they were reaping that harvest. And then another lesson we learn is this. Not only sin gets worse and has a harvest, but also God sees all and nothing thwarts his plan. God sees all and nothing thwarts his plan. God saw 17-year-old Joseph wearing the special coat. Now, you look back at that time and you say, Joseph, you're going on a trip all the way to Shechem. (laughs) You know, you're going to go on this long trip. It's going to take you a few days to get there. And you're going to arrive at your brothers, and you know they hate you because of your dreams and your coat and you're going to arrive there wearing that coat. How foolish can you be? Now, that would be our advice to him. Uh, Joseph, take the coat off. Uh, don't, Don't approach the brothers wearing that coat. But he did, and God allowed him to. Why did God allow him to do that? Well, God saw what he was doing, and it wasn't going to hurt God's plan because God would use that coat to incite their anger even more because what was God's will? For Joseph to be down in Egypt, and it was part of the plan. And so God used the the things that happened. God saw Joseph telling his dreams to his brothers. Maybe he could have said, well, this dream is just for me. It's not me to share it to anybody. But he told him to his brothers. Whether that was wise or not, I don't know. But God knew about it. God saw it happening. And God was going to use that, the dreams, and a response to the dreams to get Joseph down into Egypt. God saw the plot of the brothers to kill Joseph. Do you think God up in heaven was was wringing his hands and saying, oh my, I've got to do something to stop this? No, God wasn't worried about it. God knew what he was going to do. God saw them doing that. God knew all about it. God saw them plotting to kill him, and God knew that he was going to stop it. God knew he'd use Reuben or whatever whatever means he had to, and Reuben was the one that was used by the Lord to stop it. God saw Judah suggest they sell him as a slave to the Ishmaelites. Well, what was God's will for for Joseph? To be down in Egypt. How's he going to get down there? He's going to probably go down as a slave. Well, we found out that's the way it was. So God knew this. God wasn't upset because he saw this, but God sees everything that's going on in our life. God saw the Ishmaelites traveling from Gilead down to Egypt. Do you think that was by chance? Do you think they just so happened that these guys were coming there? No. God knew that. God saw that. God probably directed them to come close to where Joseph and his brothers were and because God wanted Joseph down in Egypt. God saw that. God saw Jacob sorrowing over Joseph. God saw the travail of his soul. God saw how he was so sorrowful, and he said, I'll go down to the grave sorrowing. God knew that. God saw it, but he didn't stop it. Why? 
because that sorrow would be the means that God would use to help convince Jacob to go down into Egypt. Because for 20 years, Jacob sorrowed. And he was finally at the place when he found out Joseph was alive. I'm going to go down to see my son. I thought he was dead. And God used all that to work in his plan. You see, God sees everything. And then another lesson we learn is this. God uses circumstance in our life to prepare us for service. You know, the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. God will send you through trouble so that you'll trust the Lord and you'll, you'll learn from him so that you can share that with others who will go through the same trouble later that you meet down, down, your, on, down in your life. And so God does that. And so God uses circumstance in our life to prepare us for ser- service. You see, Joseph's coat and his dreams predicted who he would be. But before he would be what he would be, he had to learn some things. And so God sent him through his school of discipline so that he would learn. He must first of all learn humility. Now you start this chapter by looking at Joseph. He's 17 years old. He's been picked out by his dad as the head of the household. He's wearing around this, this robe that, uh, that signifies that, and God has given him special dreams. Now that would add to a seven-year 17-year-old pride, don't you think? Do you think he's ready to be the ruler down in, in Egypt? You think he's ready to meet his brothers who rebelled against him? You think he's ready at 17 years old? Uh, don't you think he needs to learn some things? Yes, he does. And so he needs to learn humility. You see, God's way up is down. You remember that? God's way up is down. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Get down so that you can be up. Humble yourselves so that he can exalt you in due time. God had to humble Joseph because he was going to exalt him a little bit later. Proverbs eighteen twelve says, Before honor is humility. Humility will not come well, honor won't come until there's humility, first of all. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves first, and he will lift you up. Joseph needed to be humbled. Now, Joseph at this time, 17 years old, you think about it, this long sleeve coat, this ornamented coat, special dreams. Joseph thought he was somebody, <laughs> Now, the day would come he would be somebody. But he wasn't ready to be really somebody right now, even though he thought he was somebody. What God had to do is make Joseph nobody before he could make him somebody. Before he could use him as somebody, he had to make him nobody. Well, he's a nobody in the sense that he has these brothers. There's 10 of them. Of course, Benjamin probably didn't hate him because he was a younger brother by the same mom. But the other brothers did. The other ten hated him. And uh, so he has all these brothers that hate him. Then he has all these brothers that want to kill him. He has all these brothers that are doing all these things. For, and he's a guy, he's down, he's going to be in a pit. That's going to humble you. Then he's sold off as a slave. He goes from top dog in the family to a slave down in Egypt. And then he does pretty well in the Potiphar's house, and then he gets thrown in prison, falsely accused, and God keeps knocking him down because he has to learn to be nobody, trusting God before he'll be somebody that God can use. 
And so he had to learn humility. God also used the circumstances of our life to teach us patience. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 says, Tribulation worketh patience. His trials, hatred by his brothers, the time in the pit, the sale to the Ishmaelites on the oxen block in Egypt, wanting to know who would buy him, and finally it was Potiphar, and later his imprisonment in Egypt. All of these things taught Joseph patience. And he had to learn to trust the Lord, even in bad circumstances, wait on the Lord. Now, don't you think in prison or um, maybe on the auction block, he thought about his dreams? Don't you think he probably thought, Lord, I know you gave me these dreams. They must mean something. And so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you through it. And so he had to learn patience waiting on the Lord. He would later be an interpreter of dreams. You remember as the story progresses, he becomes an interpreter of dreams. Well, before being an interpreter of dreams, he needs to be receiving dreams himself, and God gave him dreams that he didn't understand completely. And so he was dealing with dreams, and God was preparing, preparing him for that. Now the dreams they had got him in trouble. Later, the dreams of other people would get him out of trouble. <laughs> but God would use dreams in his life, so God was using the circumstances to prepare him for service. He must learn to be sympathetic. Not very capable of sympathy at 17 years old and being top dog in the house. <laughs> not too sympathetic, I don't think. If he had been, he might not have told, the, told his brothers the dreams and rubbed it in. He wasn't very sympathetic. He must go down to God's school of hard knocks. He must enter that school and graduate from that school before God would allow him to be uh, the sympathetic ruler that he needed to be. Before he could be kind and sympathetic and forgiving to his brothers, he had to experience God's discipline. You remember when it, in, the, in the book of Genesis, at the end of the book, we'll not turn there, but Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers and he cries. He breaks down and weeps aloud. And then he says, brothers, don't be upset. Don't be upset that you sold me into slavery. And you remember that great passage in chapter 50? He says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, Joseph, before he ever could come to that place where he got that sympathetic and that forgiving, he had to go through some hard times. And the same is true of us. You see, G Joseph... Joseph needed those things that happened. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Uh, you needed it. Now, I, I'm not saying this in the wrong way at all, but Ernie, you needed COVID. <laughs> That's bad. I've got a toothache right now. I guess I need it. <laughs> What's God saying? God says, I am bigger than the problems, and if I allow problems to come to your life, there's some way you need it. You see, Joseph needed to be hated by his brothers. Joseph needed to be a slave. Joseph needed to be falsely accused later. He needed that. Joseph needed to be a prisoner. He needed to be broken and totally dependent upon God before he could be in the place where God could use him. Joseph never would have been in the place that he was at the end of the book 
until he was at the place during these chapters when he's not having it so good. So God knows what he's doing. He uses the circumstances of our life to prepare us for service. But then finally, we want to say this. God knows what he's doing, and he's always working for us. God knows what he's doing, and he's always working for us. You see, the hatred of his brothers was for Joseph, not against him. The pit that he was thrown into, and they tell us the pit in those days were like cisterns, and they were had a narrow opening, and then they bought like a bottle, and they went down like this. So if you were thrown in, there was no way you were going to get out unless somebody put a rope down to get you out. Joseph probably needed that pit, and it was something that God was doing, and but it was for him, not against him. The Ishmaelites were for him. They were not against him. The house of Potiphar was for him. That was not against him. All that followed was for him. It wasn't against him. Romans 8, 28, what does it say? And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For good. God is for you, not against you. If you're a believer, if you trust Jesus, he is for you. There's never a time in your life from the time you get saved until you go home to glory, there's never a time that you can say God was against me. God is for you. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? God is in, God is, and he will be victorious. And he knows what he's doing. And the Bible says in Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then he says in Romans 8, 18, that I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of that shall be revealed in us. You see, there's a better day coming. And there's victory coming. God has a purpose for our trials, and we need to know that. And God is always for us. He's not against us. It was God's will to move Israel and his family to Egypt. And he had to accomplish that. There they would develop into a nation, and later they would move to the land of Canaan. And much later, the Lord Jesus Christ would be born of the Jews. And he would be the savior of the world. And he would die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And he would shed his blood. He would take the wrath of God that we deserve upon himself. And he would pay it all and he would cry on the cross. It's finished, which means he had paid everything. And so all of our sins are paid for. And then they put him in the grave. And three days later he arose victorious over the grave. And he's alive. And he can be your savior if you'll trust what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. The Lord Jesus Christ is the result of this story, really. They had to go down to Egypt, develop as a nation down to Egypt, come out of Egypt, go to Canaan, and then even though later they went into captivity, they'd be back, and they, the Lord would be born, and the Savior would be available to all who will trust in Him as their, as their Savior. There's much to learn from Joseph, the dreamer. But we need to understand also that we as believers are dreamers. We're dreamers. Joseph was a dreamer because he received this information from the Lord. He dreamed this, but it turned out to be part of his dream, no doubt, that this would really happen. Well, we are dreamers because we know wonderful things. As we said in Romans 8, 18, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We have everlasting life. It will never end. 
We have a promise of a brand new body someday. We have a promise of a brand new home. We have a promise that we will be with Jesus forever. And we have a promise that we'll rule and reign with him when he reigns on this earth for a thousand years. All of that's ahead of us and it's absolutely sure. And there's no problem that you're facing right now that's going to change that if you know Jesus as your Savior. It's going to be victorious. And we can be like Joseph. We can be a dreamer even though we're going through trouble. So I hope today that you, if you're facing trials, you remember God knows what he's doing. He's in charge. He doesn't make a mistake. And when the time comes, he gives victory. You'll be, you'll be thanking the Lord like Tanya did this morning, thanking the Lord. And you know, if it happens the other way and you get sick and you don't make it and you know Jesus... What's going to happen? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. I guarantee you will not be sad. <laughs> now, those you leave behind will be, but you won't be sad. And those who leave behind, if they know Jesus as their Savior, they'll one day be with you in glory, and they'll look back and say, oh, the sufferings we went through down there on, on earth, nothing compared to this glory. Thank the Lord. God knows what he's doing. We can trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you today. For this wonderful account. I thank you, Lord, for the lessons that we can learn from it. And I pray that we might learn those lessons. It doesn't mean that our trials will be easy. It doesn't mean that we'll enjoy them. But, Lord, when we face the trial, we can face it as a dreamer, knowing God knows what he's doing, and it's going to turn out all right. We can trust him. Help us to do that. If there's someone here today who has never trusted that message that the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them as we explain the message of salvation, how he paid for their sins. I pray, Lord, if they've never done that today, they would put their faith and trust in you. We ask in Jesus' name.